If you will go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word or use the one in the pew or use the electronic one that you turn on and scroll and find your way over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be today and um, just want to thank everyone again that was part of our Vacation Bible School this past week from adult VBS all the way to uh, those running around with the toddlers and uh, just uh, uh, passing the time. If you were involved in snack, recreation, craft, wherever you were, you played an important role and we saw some 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 really cool things happen with our kids this week. Um, we did uh, do a mission offering and raised over $500 to support our food pantry, uh, specifically to assist with the uh, the backpack. You'll notice there in your in your bulletin, uh, William Redding's class, Common Ground, is is taking on part of a mission project through our food pantry, through our church, and asking everyone to be involved. Uh, we're collecting backpacks, black backpacks, to uh, use on Fridays with Campbell Elementary, so they can send a backpack full of kit f- food home with some kids that they've identified might not eat over the weekend. And the money we raised in Vacation Bible School this week is going to support that effort within our food pantry along with the book bags that we are collecting. So it's an awesome time to see kids helping kids and pouring in and giving back and being missional. And as one of our fifth graders said this week, it was about that, but it was also about Hot Dog Charlie. So some of you might have seen on on, on social media this week, uh, the hashtag Hot Dog Charlie floating around. Yes, uh, Charlie did ask me a few weeks ago if uh, whoever raised more boys or girls, if one could be turned into a human hot dog while the other stood and laughed and well, the boys won. And so it was hot dog Charlie. But since we raised over $500, I thought, well, I'll get in on the action and they threw hot dog stuff all over me as well. So uh, we, uh, we got to have a, a fun night uh, wrapping up with, with all the hot dogs and, and ketchup and mustard. Just, just so you know, if kids are throwing ketchup and mustard and relish all over you, um, it takes about two days to get the relish smell out of your nose. Um, or maybe it's if you men, if you've got facial hair, just, you know, put some duct tape on it for the night if they're going to be doing that because it gets in there and it just does not go away. And I don't even like relish. So anyway, Ephesians chapter five, we're going to be looking at a few verses together, uh, verses three through 14. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, standing in his honor and his glory and his presence as his word is read. And it says this, starting in verse three. Sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the fruitlessness the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. 
Therefore, it said, get up, sleep, or rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Let's pray together. Father, it is in the light of the glory of Christ that we can see who we are. Lord, that, maybe that statement alone is what draws us by your grace and kindness to repentance. That you would shine the light of Christ on our lives to show us who we are. And Father, if we're in you, we shine with the glory of Christ, not because of us, but because of you. Lord, if we're not in you, I pray that that shining light of Christ on us will drive us to turn to you, will drive us to receive you because in your grace, in your kindness, in your mercy, you have shown us the beauty of you, Lord, and you've asked us to come and bask in your light, to come and be a partaker of your grace, to come as adopted children of the King. Lord, help us to live according to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're getting kind of ramped up here in the book of Ephesians even more towards what it looks like to be one who walks in accordance with the call that has been placed on our lives. This is the upward call of glory in Christ Jesus. This is the call that God reached out into your darkness, into your world, into your life to say, look, the way that you've been living is not the way you have to live because I have given you an abundant and a free and a full life in Christ Jesus. You who were once dead have now been made alive. Why? Because Jesus is victorious. Because Jesus has true power and Jesus shines his light into the darkness of our world that we might live in it. So here's what we're going to do in our sermon today in this message as we're walking through and as we're looking at this passage. Normally, I know, we go straight down the list and we go right down verse to this verse and this verse. We're going to bounce around within this passage a little bit because I want us to see what controls the passage under the authority of God. And then I want you to see what it means to live with that controlling word in your life. And it starts in verse eight where he says this, you were once darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You and I have a simple command. Your translation may say this, walk as children of light. There is a pattern of life, a walk that you and I are to exhibit. And Paul demonstrates for us so wonderfully right here in the confines of verse eight, this simple truth. We once were darkness, now we are light. I saw this really funny video on Facebook. You know, Facebook has a lot of funny videos and there are some people that uh, just, they're just real creative and how funny they can be. It was this guy on a treadmill and, and, and you've got to be really good to use one of these kind of treadmills because it didn't have like the arm bars or anything. You know, if you start to stumble on a treadmill, you can grab the arm bar and you regain your balance. This guy didn't have one of those. But he was showing a hundred different ways that someone could walk. And it was kind of funny. I mean, he did everything from tightrope walking on a treadmill to, to orangutan walking. And, 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 he, and he, did, he did like sassy walking. He did speed walking. But then he did walking in the dark. You've done that before, right? 
You've walked somewhere in the dark and you weren't exactly sure what was right in front of you, so you stepped cautiously. Or maybe, maybe you thought, but this is my house. I know where the furniture is. Even though the lights aren't on, I'm going to walk straight where you want to go. And you run into something. And you hope you don't wake the kids up with the word you just yelled out because your toe was nice and beautiful and now it's black and blue and brown and bruised and hurting and swollen up. See, when we walk in darkness, we're not exactly sure where our footing is going to land. And the world around us, society all around us, is walking in that darkness. And so the sands of culture shift. The sands of culture slide. And what once was a sure thing has become relatively unsure. And we're not exactly positive what the next generation is going to see. Just think about this scary thought for just a minute. Just, just, just a scary thought for everybody here in the room. Did you know... That with the exception of offices, the generation that's being raised right now won't know what a corded telephone is. I remember in the 1990s, they made a movie out of the Beverly Hillbillies. I know I've referred to Beverly Hillbillies a lot with this Ephesians series. I get it. But one of the funny things about the, the movie with the Beverly Hillbillies is because they brought it up into the 90s. You know, the Beverly Hillbillies made in the late 60s, early 70s. It was culturally relevant and appropriate there. Well, there was this scene in, the, in this movie from the 90s where Granny Clampett is in the back of the limousine with the banker, Miss Hathaway, and she's talking on a cell phone and she looks at her family and says, <laughs> she thinks she's talking to somebody. There's not even a cord there. Now, kids are going to wonder, why do you even have a cord? See, what was once a sure thing is not always sure in the world. This is why Paul encourages us to walk as children of the light because the light shines in the darkness. The light shines and shows what is real. The light shines and shows what is true. And it is by the light of Christ that you and I can with assurance and boldness say, this is how I will walk. The guy on the treadmill did the scared walk and it was just kind of a, and he also did the confident walk. Walk confidently. Because Jesus Christ has shined his light into your life. What does it even mean to walk confidently? How does this life, this light even, this life even shape up as a walk? We've talked a whole lot about this. Starting in verse four, it says, I, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling we have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. And then we talked a little bit more in chapter four, and we saw that he was the one who equipped us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we went a little bit deeper into chapter four, and he started showing us how the things that we were doing were unfit for who we are and who we're called to be. And he wrapped all of it up with this imitation of God and showed us that we are to be tenderhearted, kind and forgiving one another, patient with one another, because that's how God was with us. And said, so imitate God. You ever picture God walking? You ever, you ever think back to the Garden of Eden where it says there that in chapter three that, that Adam and Eve were hiding from God because he had come to the garden to walk because that was what God was doing. He was walking with his people. You ever wonder what it looked like for God to walk? I, I've, I, I've, 
my imagination runs wild sometimes. And, and I think y'all have kind of seen that sometimes when I footnote and try to find my word and all that stuff. But I've always pictured God on like this holy hoverboard, sort of, so to speak, that there's this like cloud around his feet. And so you don't actually see the steps he's taking. So he's kind of like scooting across and just kind of gliding. He's not walking like some of you walk. He's not walking like I walk. I got bad knees. Some days... Some days I don't get up out of my chair once I get to the office because it just hurts. Some days I feel like I can just kind of hop and skip and jump and move. Some days I have to chase a kid. But God doesn't walk like me. Because the way that God walks is a way that shows everyone how glorious he truly is. Does your walk show how truly glorious God is? This is why Paul says, you're not in the darkness, so walk as a child of light. So, so how? <laughs> I guess that's the big question, right? How, how do we do this? How do we walk as children of light? I'm gonna give you three quick imperatives, the reason for it, and then we're gonna kind of follow up with, with, with one last thing in point three. So let's just kind of walk through this, and this is where we're gonna start piecing together through the passage as normal, remembering that all of this is governed by the command to live as children of light, to walk as children of light, to make your manner of life as one who is a child of light. And he says this, in verse three, sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks for know and recognize this, that every sexual, everyone sexually immoral or impure or greedy, who is also an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Do away with impurity. Walking as a child of light is to do away with impurity. Now, I want you to notice very carefully what Paul does. He doesn't just broad stroke this. He doesn't just put this massive category over there. He kind of gets a little bit personal. He gets a little specific with us. It'd be easy to say, yeah, just don't be impure. Well, what does that mean? Now I drink purified water. Does that make me a little more pure than those of you that drink city water? N not really. Being pure is to do away with what is impure. Doing away with what is impure is to do away with everything that contradicts what it means to know and live in Christ. He says it this way, sexual immorality or impurity or greed. It's really easy for us to categorize the sexually impure as the worst of the worst. Homosexuals, adulterers, those that look at pornography as the worst of the worst. It's really easy for us to subclassify them, but all the while we are clamoring and greedy for more and more. And maybe it's not financial greed. Maybe it's social greed. Maybe it is, it's, can we just call it church greed? Y'all know church greed. 
Church greed is the, church, is the greed that says my voice has to be heard over everybody else's voice. That's a form of greed. It's being power hungry. And he says right here very clearly, know that and recognize that the sexually immoral, the impure, the greedy is one without an inheritance. Why do we do away with what's impure? Because of our internal inheritance. Because everything that draws impurity in this world is bound to this world, but all that is pure ties us to the world where we are heading. To the glory of God in Christ Jesus. To something beyond what we know as Americans in 2018 as citizens of this physical world. But don't misunderstand. It's not just the external action. This is a matter of the heart. That's why he says this in verse 4. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable. Rather giving thanks. I, I can remember being in high school. I took a weight training class. I've told you about this weight training class. And the hot dog picture of me really accentuated the effect of that weight training class. Did y'all see those biceps? That, that picture was a few years old. Just, you know, I've, I've, I've laid the weights down for a little while. But we used to talk about locker room talk, guy jokes. Subtle nuances and innuendos that, that point to sexuality, that point to, 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 to using things of the world. And the reason all of this is, brings impurity is because of one word that he drops in the middle of it. Someone who is an idolater. Church, impurity leads to idolatry because impurity stems from idolatry. Let's just kind of walk through a little bit. Greed idolizes money, right? Idolizes money and power and says that I, whatever it takes to be powerful, whatever it takes to have money, whatever it takes to have this kind of lifestyle, that becomes an idol. Where does the crass joking come along? I was a class clown. That comes as a surprise to no one that has known me for longer than four minutes. And I can tell you that it was an idolatry of the heart for attention, for friends, and for acceptance. Would it shock you to know that your pastor has told profane jokes in his life? Christy, this is revelation for her. She's finding this out for the very first time. Yeah. See, when I read these words of Paul about, about foolish talk and crash joking and coarse joking, I understand that my life at one time was walking contrary to where Christ was leading me and where Christ was pointing me because I had idolized the, the, the accolade and the fame and having the best joke and the best one-liner and being able to, to drop that or leave that, to, to be able to put that perfectly timed statement right there for the uproar of the crowd. And it was an idol of the heart. Look, ah, oh, you're just joking around. That's all you're doing. Boys will be boys. No, no. Boys will be boys. Striving for attention. Girls will be girls. Striving for attention. Building idolatry. 
Oh, it's before we get into all that, it's after we get into all that that we can start talking about sex and why sexual immorality is idolatry. Sexual immorality becomes idolatry because it places the ultimate value on the act of sex itself, regardless of the partner and the person that you were with, regardless of God's design plan and direction for this. Same sex activity is idolizing what we feel inside. And our culture is, is, is prompting that and pushing that. Playboy sexual mentality, sexual morality, that sex is purely biological. And it doesn't matter who you're with, where you are, it's just that you enjoy that moment is the pervasive tone of the day. And that is an idolatry of the act of sex and the gratification of sex that Paul says that should be put away from you. Notice how far he goes. He says, it shouldn't even be mentioned. It shouldn't even be mentioned. That's kind of like saying to me, the Florida fan, saw you wearing a Tennessee shirt the other day. No, you didn't. Don't even mention that. Yeah, I saw you. You were cheering for the Bulldog. No, I wasn't. Don't even mention that. There are some statements that should not be together, such as followers of Christ and sexual immorality. But let me be clear. Let me make sure that that I, I am abundantly transparent in this regard. That nowhere does Paul say that you will not stumble, that you will not fall, and that you run out of the grace of God. You and I live in a fallen world and being fallen beings in a fallen world, though we are redeemed, we still struggle with all that this world has to offer. The strive here is to walk, knowing that when our walk fails us, God does not. The power of Christ does not. So if you have sexual sin in your past or in your present, you are not without the, you are not without the reach of the grace of God. You are not beyond that. If you have greed, if you have power hunger, if you have, if you have idolatry in your past or in your present, you will also have it in your future and the grace of God remains to hold you, to draw you in, to help you walk. It's like I told my Sunday school class this morning, our college kids. I said, it's not like, it, it doesn't work this way. It's not that tomorrow morning you wake up in sin and you got to sit on the sidelines for the rest of the week and say, I will have no effect for God until I go and get my church sticker next Sunday. You walk every day day as a child of light regardless of your missteps run back to the throne of grace because that's where you were saved to begin with and then he says this understand your position this is why it's important to see the sequence here we do away with impurity because we have an inheritance with God in Christ Jesus that is far greater and beyond and better than anything that we have in this world because it will not fail us but then he goes on and says it's because of our position notice what he says let no one deceive you with empty arguments for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things therefore do 
not become their partners. See, Paul has separated a couple of classes here because he knows the temptation that you and I have, but he reminds us of who we are so that we can stand strong on our faith in Christ Jesus and the power of the gospel to rise above, to overcome, to exhibit what this walk looks like in this world. Because there are business partners of sin, so to speak, that are all around you seeking to lure you in. See, you can usually notice a shaky deal in society. Like if you're driving down the road, it's, it's always baffles me. You drive down the road and you see those little yard signs like at stop signs. And it's somebody with a Sharpie has gone and wrote, we buy houses and pay cash. And they give you a phone number. It's like, you buy houses, but you don't buy professional signs. Seems legit, right? Yeah, I'll call you up. You can come buy my house for me. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> the little kiosks in the mall that sell you real Ray-Bans and real Oakleys for like an eighth of the price as the actual store that has sunglasses. Seems legit, right? Oh yeah, these are real. Or, or, or maybe... <laughs> I'm not gonna go there, never mind. Um, just gonna drop down. We, we, we can, we can re usually recognize a, a shady deal, right? We all know that when you get the key attached to the cardboard in the mail that says, if this key fits, you're gonna win this car at our dealership. All they want is for you to come in so they can haggle with you for three or four hours over what you don't want and don't need anyway. We can recognize a false deal, but what happens is when we forget our position in Christ, we forget that we can see the false deal of the world and we become partners with darkness. We become partners with darkness. And he says in this passage, he says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty arguments. The number one empty argument that this world sells each one of us is that you do not have to pay for anything. Buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. Krispy Kreme is really good at this one. You can buy your dozen donuts now and you can eat all 12 and you won't gain 42 pounds from eating that 12, those 12 donuts. But tomorrow when you stand on the scale, you'll say, hmm, probably shouldn't have had those 12 donuts yesterday. Wouldn't it be a whole lot different if you went and you every time you took a bite out of the donut or the cupcake or the bowl of ice cream, just like, boom, there it is, 10 pounds just popped out immediately? It, it, it would change your mind about what you eat, right? It's like, all right, I can't wait to get into this bowl of ice cream with chocolate syrup and sugar-coated strawberries and whipped cream and marshmallows. Oh yeah, here we go. Boom, there it is. No, you're not gonna finish that bowl of ice cream. It's going to make you panic and run. You remember Pinocchio? The little wooden boy, right? He, he got caught up into this lie. Oh yeah, you can, you, you, can, you can do this. You can go to this island of whatever it was called and you can, you can enjoy all of this fun. You can enjoy everything that the world offers. That's not going to affect you. 
You can live just like your lost neighbors and still love God. You can still, you can live just like whoever you want and you can still be an abundant Christian. But what he says here is, no, don't let anyone deceive you with empty arguments. That's emptiness. That is foolishness. And it doesn't matter if Drake's into it or Elvis Presley was into it. I'm trying to hit a bunch of generations here. Or or, or wherever you are, the lie of the world is you won't really have to pay. But he says that God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. The reason that we are to understand our position is because God's wrath on disobedience is real. It's true. As Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 3, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, um, don't think that God is slow concerning his promises because what you count as slowness is actually the mercy of God who doesn't want anyone to perish translation, the wrath is coming, but he's given you an opportunity to repent. Don't become a partaker of evil, a partner with darkness, because you have a position of light in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have that position now, you can have it because he is patient and has not come down on you with the full hand of his wrath and the full hand of his displeasure with your sin, because he wants you, wherever you're sitting, however old you are, whatever you've done, to know of his glorious mercy and his kindness that draws us to repent but don't test him it's kind of like a mouse trap the old inhumane mouse traps that we all really enjoyed because they were showed us the ticking time bomb right you always had to fold that spring back and get that pin set just right. But if you didn't get it set just right, what happened? Boom, right on your finger. And you knew why the mice always looked like that when you found them the next morning. You like that, didn't you? Like that? You'd go to that mousetrap and you could poke it. It's set. And you know the consequences of what's going to happen. You can poke it and you can figure out if I touch it here, if I mess with it there, if I move my hand quick enough, I'm not going to get bit by it. And then it gets you. Sometimes we toy around with God the way we toy around with a mousetrap. He says, remember your position. His wrath will come down on the disobedient. So we are not to be partners with them because we are children of light. And third, he says, for us to take sin seriously. Notice what he says here. Don't practice, verse 11, the fruitfulness, the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. See, eventually your sin's going to be exposed. Eventually. You you can't control sin. Sin sin is a disease of which we must repent and of which we must remove, from which we must remove ourselves. You can't manage it. 
It's not something that you can contain in a little compartment of your life. It will seep into every facet of your life and the light of God will expose it, not because God hates you, but because God loves you and desires for you to see who you are in the light of Christ and run back to him. And he says, everything will be exposed. Sin will be exposed. Church, man, I wish I could tell you this morning that we stand on a long 200, almost 200 years of Southern Baptist of stain-free, sin-free existence. And once you come to faith in Christ, that all your sin goes away. But man, I could, I could tell you right now of professors at seminary that have been removed from their position in the last six weeks could tell you of our own executive director who removed himself because of immorality. I could tell you of president of North Granville University in South Carolina, one of the leading Baptist institutions for undergrads at the time, removed because of immorality. You cannot control your sin. It will control you. It will dictate your every move. It will cause you to always be looking back over your shoulder because deep down, you know it will be exposed. So rather than live in fear, live in freedom by walking as a child of the light, knowing that your sin will be exposed. So just go ahead and expose it yourself. Come to God in Christ Jesus and repent. Turn to him and let him know, I love you, God. I'm sorry that this sin has encroached in my life. I'm sorry I have not followed you. I am walking with you now and walk and then do it again when it happens again and then do it again when it happens again because eventually it will come to light because that's what the light of Christ does Jesus was the light shining into the darkness and it wasn't just this cool metaphor for how the light of heaven came down and took on flesh and walked in this life it was how Christ Jesus would show you how beautiful God is how ugly you are and how God says I love you and I'm going to make you beautiful like me walk as a child of light by taking sin seriously walk as a child of light by learning what pleases God notice he says there in verse 10 or verse 9 the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth it tests what is pleasing to the Lord. And this is one of the, this is, this is a, this amazing verses right here. Because Paul is giving us license under the authority of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate how we live in Christ by finding out how God has made us and living according to it. He says there, he says, test what is pleasing to the Lord. Not every one of you are wired like I am. Some of you, if I came up to you about 35 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago, an hour ago, whenever it was, about an hour ago and said, hey, I had a bad burrito for dinner last night. I need you to preach for me. 99% of you would have been like, uh-uh, nope, not happening. I could have come to you on Thursday and said, hey, 
something's come up. I can't be there Sunday. Um, our staff's tied up. I need you to deliver the message Sunday morning. Can you do that for me? I had some bad relish with this hot dog thing going on. So, so I, I need you on Sunday. I'm going to give you a couple of days to prepare. You still be like, no. Stand in front of people and talk? Mm-mm. No, I'm, I'm sick that day. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning a migraine for Sunday. I can't be there. I, I just can't do it. You're not all wired like me. Chances are, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm already teaching a Sunday school class, if one of our Sunday school teachers called me at 8.45 on Sunday morning and said, hey, um, I'm sick, co-teacher's sick, can't be there, can you teach my class? I'm like, sure, we'll roll with it. Why not? Let's see what happens. That's just how I'm wired. Some of you are wired to notice and pay attention and pick out details. Some of you from where you're sitting, because you're so detail-oriented, can tell that I have two different shades of blue in the squares on my tie. Some of you have the ability to organize information and data. Some of you have the ability to, to, to work out of, out of a pure heart of service. And what Paul says here is test what's pleasing to the Lord because God made each one of you different and he called you into his family. So use how he's made you to honor him. Learn what pleases God. How do you do that? Well, you do it by enjoying fruitfulness. Notice he says there, don't participate in the fruitless works, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what is done for them in secret. For everything that is exposed by the light is made visible. Therefore, uh, for what makes everything visible is the light. See, living in the light it exposes the fruit and the joy of what it means to follow Christ Jesus. So rather than participate in what is fruitless, find things that are fruitful. He's like, man, what do you mean by fruitful? Probably the biggest way that we can show that we're bearing fruit in Christ is how we encourage others to also bear fruit in Christ. How we encourage others to use their gifts because we're exercising ours. One of the greatest ways we can demonstrate fruitfulness is how we attend and how we participate when we do attend. You know, ch church is oftentimes backwards on Sunday morning. And, and let, let me tell you what I mean by that. L look at the sanctuary. Just kind of look around the sanctuary, everybody. Look up, look down, look all around, right? You know, if we put a few curtains up here and a few extra, a few extra you know, props up here and a bunch of people, we could have a play, right? Or, or if we just, you know, instead of having two screens on the side, just have one ginormous screen over here, we could show a movie, right? I get it. We've got two screens. We can still show a movie. I understand. Everything about the way we organize and structure even the building of our sanctuaries and our worship centers is entertainment oriented, where it's come in, sit down, enjoy the show, and go home, right? That's fruitlessness. Now, I want you to be here, but more than I want you here, I want you out there demonstrating why what we believe is important. Drawing others into the power of this gospel that we have claimed that we have proclaimed, that we have embraced, shining this light into the darkness of our city, into our state. Oh yeah, it's easy to come in and sit down and say, yep, I feel good. I went to church. I got my Jesus sticker today. See, it's right there. I know it's him because he's got a white robe with a blue sash. That's always Jesus. So there he is. Right. 
White robe, blue sash, boom, nailed it. Uh, See, that's how you know there's Jesus up there because he's got the white robe and the blue sash. I got that sticker because I went to church. I sang along with the hymns. I nodded my head when Evan said that one word about Jesus. Yep. And I shook his hand on the way out. I'm good till next week. That's not walking. That's not walking his life. That's sitting in a church service. Walking as a child of life says, I'm going to enjoy fruitfulness. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to serve my fellow man according to the glory of God, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. And then, I love this one, basking in the light. You want to know how you learn how to please what pleases God? You bask in the light. Notice he says there, everything that exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it says, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The light of Christ will shine on you. What could be more glorious than to enjoy the presence of Christ in our life? What could be more of a greater, a greater demonstration to the world around us that what we believe is legitimate, is real, is life-altering and life-changing than to demonstrate the light of Christ everywhere we go, to bask in the light? You ever watch an alligator? Alligators are actually pretty lazy animals. I wouldn't want to make one mad, but they're kind of lazy. Alligator's favorite thing to do other than eat is to lay in the sun. We used to go to the Greenville Zoo in Greenville, South Carolina. We'd take Braden and the kids up there. My favorite thing to always see was the alligators. They were always doing the exact same thing. They were laying down. They liked the giraffes and the lions and all these. The lions, they kind of laid around, did nothing too. But the alligator would always be out there just laying. The only time we ever saw those alligators at the Greenville Zoo move in the probably 12 or 18 times we went there was when the shadow kind of encroached on where they were laying. And they got up and took about five steps and laid right back down in the sun. The shadow is going to encroach on where you are. The darkness is going to encroach. The question of what it means to walk in the light of Christ is whether or not you will get up from the shadow and step back over into the light and remain in the light.